0: Welcome to the Rainier View Christian Church Podcast, where we invite you to pursue God, engage in community, and make a difference. Hey, my name is Jeff. I'm part of the teaching team here at Rainier View, and we are so excited to begin a new series today on relationships. Uh, and so as we begin, we're going to be talking about marriage, and right up at the top, just want to let you know, as we go through this message, there is going to be some PG-13 content later on. And so if you've got little ones uh, with you watching, you might want to, uh, yeah, think about uh, where they are and where, what their ears are going to be hearing a little bit later on. But we are beginning today uh, by, again, jumping into our brand new series on relationships, and we're beginning by taking a look at marriage. Uh, As a pastor, I've had the privilege, the opportunity to officiate many different types of weddings over the years, some very, very small and intimate, some larger gatherings, and I've gotten to attend many, many more. Uh, And I love that there's all sorts of different ways that people celebrate their special day. But the one thing that all of those ceremonies, all of those moments have in common, whether it's less than 10 people, whether it's 250 or 300 people gathered to celebrate a couple choosing to get married, is that those two people standing in front of one another are intending to enjoy and spend the rest of their lives together. That's what they have gathered to celebrate with family and friends, but what we know is that sometimes those relationships don't end with a happily ever after. Sometimes, uh, maybe quite quickly, that marriage relationship will break up and flame out uh, very, very quickly. Other times, uh, marriage can last for years and years and years and uh, ultimately after decades end in divorce. I know one couple who just uh, finalized a divorce after 30 years of marriage. And so it begs the question, how do we build a marriage that lasts? Because at a wedding, that's what we're celebrating. And that's what we want to see happen. And far too often, that's not the outcome that we experience. And so this is a question for all of us. How do we build a a marriage that lasts? It's not just for those of us who are married. For those of us who maybe are younger or presently unmarried, we need to understand uh, what makes a marriage last because many of us will be married one day. And even if we never get married, we want to be individuals that help support and encourage the health of the marriages of our friends and family. And vice versa, if we're married, we need to look out for and tend to the relational health of our friends who are single. And so we have a vested interest in caring for one another uh, who who we share life together. Uh, And so here's the thing. We're going to go through some different principles. uh, And as we go through them, there's going to be uh, different verses that I'm going to look at. Many of these verses can apply to all sorts of relationships that we have. Uh, With exception of one, it should be super obvious when we get to it. If you miss it, don't worry, I'm going to point it out. But this message is going to be a little bit different than than one I would usually give. I'm going to talk about 10 things that I've learned about marriage after 20 years of marriage. So I've been married for 20 years, but I'm going to draw uh, these kind of 10 things I've learned, not just from my own marriage, but from observing many, many marriages over the years as a pastor. And so uh, here we go. 10 things I've learned about marriage in 20 years. Uh, Number 10, we're going to kind of go 10 to 1. Uh, Number 10, what I've learned is that know that marriage is not about your happiness and fulfillment. You have to know that your marriage is not about your happiness and your fulfillment. If you go into marriage thinking that the other person is there to complete your life and fix all your problems and and, and bring you just the ultimate fulfillment in life and that that's their role, their job, um, you got to turn off the Hallmark channel. Okay, like that—that that is just a fantasy world, and yet it's perpetuated again and again and again in movies and television shows and social media and on and on and on. Um, And so, again, we're going to jump right in and look at one verse that helps us understand how we're to interact in marriage and how we can better understand that the point of getting married is not to make us happy, it's not to fulfill us. And so, look with me in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And so, obviously in a marriage relationship, there's a give and take, but this needs to be the framework. If you're gonna have a marriage that lasts, this is the framework that you have to bring in day in, day out, week in, week out, month after month, year after year, that you're there to look out for the interest of your spouse, okay? Um, So, and this is in big things and in small things. So let me talk about one of the small things in my own marriage that just came up recently. Uh, So we recently upgraded our phones, and so the phone that I wanted wasn't in stock, and so they just shipped it to the house, and so it was a couple weeks that that it took to get there, and so it finally arrived, uh, and then it sat in the box, unupdated, because I hate that chore. I have a perfectly good phone, it's working, and so I kept putting it off, because I just don't want to do it. It's just it, it's it's a chore. It's just busy work. I'd rather do something else. And so I kept saying I'm going to get to it later. I'm going to get to it later. And a couple weeks had gone by since the new phone arrived, still sitting there in the box. And here's what's happening. It's stressing my wife Amy out because you have to return your old phone within a certain period of time to avoid being charged any late fees and and all that kind of thing. And so she had asked, hey, when are you gonna do it? And I kept saying, later. And so she texted me and said, hey, it would be great if you could take care of getting your phone updated and, and so we could send it in this week. And my initial thought is, no, I have a busy week. I don't want to do this this week. I don't have time for this. This is literally happening as I have open in my Bible the passage we just read out of Philippians. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but the interests of others. Like, man, God's word speaks to us. I was reminded how I needed to not just be concerned with what I wanted, but again, the needs of my spouse. And so, again, it made me 0% happy to do that chore. I I just don't like updating my phone. Like, I just want to stick with the same one forever until it breaks or something. So doing the thing didn't bring me any happiness. But why did I do it? I did it as a way to serve and to care for and to look out for the concerns and interests of my wife. Okay, And so, uh, again... The biblical term for this, by the way, when we live this way, when we live out the truth of God's word, is we're growing in holiness. When we become more holy, uh, that's not like, you know, we become some monk or something and and, uh, we become so much better than everybody else. No, we're becoming more of the person that God wants you and I to be. That's the process of becoming more holy in our lives. And as Gary Thomas asks in his book, Sacred Marriage, um, what if God designed marriage not to make us more happy, but to make us more holy, okay? Uh, so number nine, the, the number nine on the list of 10 things I learned in 20 years about marriage is that talking is hard. <laughs> talking is hard for us as human beings. What I mean by this is talking about the stuff that matters is hard. Some of us, we just like to talk, 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 talk. Others of us are more, uh, you know, sparse with our words, but talking about the stuff that matters Man, that's difficult. Uh, because here's the thing. In marriage, you are, you are with the person to whom you are going to be the most vulnerable. The person that you have the capacity to be the most known by. And so that could be a scary thought for us to be known at that level. And so we can choose to not go there, to not be that intimate with our knowledge of one another. Or or when we are, because we're the two people who know each other the best on planet earth, it is so easy to weaponize our hurts and our fears and and all of that and hurt one another, not if we fight, but when we fight, okay? And so God's word has something for us uh, to help us kind of move past talking is hard. And so in Ephesians 4, 29, we read this. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Sometimes when I hear a couple and they just say, oh, we don't fight. I'm, every time I hear that, I'm thinking in my head, just stop, just stop. If you know that game taboo, with that little buzzer. I just want to be. Uh, like, no, that is not how relationships work. And so what I've come to realize, though, is what a couple actually means by that is, Well, we don't have a heated conversation around anything because anytime we get close to something that might bring up uh, feelings of discomfort or anxiety, we just don't go there. We just don't talk about it at all. Uh, And so here's the thing. If that's our way of dealing with the the reality that talking about hard stuff is hard, um, we're missing out on the intimacy that God intends for us to enjoy in the marriage relationship. The power to really truly change in the ways that God wants us to, man, we've got to talk about those difficult things, not just avoid them for our entire relationship. And so likely no one really taught us how to talk. It's why talking is hard, which leads me to uh, point number eight, the eighth thing I've learned, number eight on the list of 10 things I've learned in 20 years about marriage is that communication is a learned skill. And so you and I can learn how not to just talk at each other, but to talk to each other. So communication is a learned skill, but we need to learn how we can talk to each other, not just simply at each other. Okay, Um, I just witnessed this in real life. A couple, they were having a uh, just shouting match, which built into a screaming match, uh, I can only assume around, uh, you know, an impending breakup or divorce. And it got to the point where it was so heated that uh, somebody apparently called the police just to check in and make sure everybody was okay, which fortunately they were. But um, I, don't, I don't know any knowledge around what was going on in the relationship. But if I was a betting person, which I'm not, uh, but I would place a very safe bet on one of the contributing factors is the couple never learned how to talk to each other. They only learned to talk at each other. Uh, and so here's the thing. Anyone, anyone can learn to communicate better, but it is a learned skill. It's not something that is innate within us, in us, which I've come to discover in 20 years or so of being a pastor. It's just not something that we just automatically pick up. It's something that we, we learn from those around us. It's really more caught than it is taught. The problem is that we inherit the kind of communication that James writes about in his letter in the New Testament. And so James chapter 3 uh, describes the kind of speech that often we know and understand. It says this in James 3 verses 5 through 8, the tongue, referring to our speech, the way we talk, is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself." People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And so, again, we've got these dual things that we've looked at so far that we're only to speak words that speak life and build up one another. But the reality is that our default nature is to tear down and destroy often with our words because nothing hurts us more as human beings, then the hurtful words that we say to one another in our closest relationships, uh, and, and most uh, most painfully in our marriages. And so, how we talk to one another truly matters. We need to learn how to talk not just at each other, but to each other. Um, and so, if you want a marriage that lasts, you need to figure out how to do that to build true intimacy. Um, and so. You have to know that part of that, if we're truly going to communicate well with one another, that's going to bring up some difficult areas, some areas that we're going to struggle being vulnerable enough to share really what's going on for us. Uh, in the, in the um, business world, there's a, an author, Patrick Lencioni, and he's the author of many business and organizational health books. And he has a, he has a whole book, and he's a saying called getting naked. Okay, Now, hang with me. In the business world, he would say, please keep your clothes on. (laughs) But in your relationships, even with your clients and customers as a business, if you cannot be appropriately vulnerable and transparent with them, they're not going to build trust and they're not going to buy your product or engage with your services. And so, In our marriages, it works the exact same way. We have to be willing to have a level of vulnerability, of uh, truly being transparent with what's going on inside of us if we're truly going to have the trust and the intimacy that God intends for us to enjoy in marriage. And And getting naked with those fears and anxieties and hurts with one another is just key. We have to be able to do that which uh, all of us talk about getting naked leads to number seven on the list of 10 things I've learned about marriage in 20 years, uh, that yeah, actually, couples, you need to keep getting naked with each other. If you're confused about what point might be the one that is not transferable to your other relationships, this is the one, okay? Um, But here's the thing. I remember several years back, we had a a couple that we knew, and we were around the same age, and you know, they were going through a difficult season. Uh, they, ha- they just had some difficulties um, raising one of their kids and, and some difficulties around, uh, you know, uh, an ex in one of their lives and, you know, work schedules and figuring all that out. Uh, but in the midst of just, you know, uh, doing life together and walking alongside one another, you know, they shared that it had not merely just been weeks since the last time that they had sex. It had been months and I was I just like, guys, you are too young and too attractive to be throwing in the towel and that be the, the rate at which you guys are having sex. And I have been so surprised over the years how many couples, married couples, allow weeks to turn into months between, between the last time that, that they enjoy sex with one another. Um, and here's the thing. Couples that continue to be happy together continue to get naked together, okay? It's why the Bible has such a high view of sex. And even Paul writes uh, to the church in Corinth who... Again, Paul is a single guy. He writes about uh, this, this very issue. And again, the church in Corinth, by the way, they had probably the most unhealthy practices around uh, their, their sexual activity. You can look at 1 Corinthians 5. There's a guy who's sleeping with his stepmom and people in the church are high-fiving him for it. Like, this church has issues and problems. And so what does Paul write to them? Hey, this is what you need to know about sex in marriage. And so 1 Corinthians 7, uh, verse, starting verse 3, we read that the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. But afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And so kind of a sidebar because some will read that and, and in our culture, we might read in, well, that's abusive. No one should, should force themselves upon, upon anybody else for any reason at any given time. But that's not what's going on here. In the first century when Paul wrote these words, uh, what he wrote was revolutionary, in particular at raising the worth, the value, the dignity in the, in the rights of the woman in the, in the marriage relationship. Because at that time in the broader Greco-Roman culture, uh, the, the value of women was basically seen as they're only there for men's pleasure and for procreation to produce kids, that's it. Oftentimes, women were viewed as little more than property. And so when Paul writes these words of mutual submission to one another, it is a radical elevation of the rights of women in that culture at that time. And again, Paul is writing and speaking to what God intends for us as married couples to do, to enjoy sex as an ongoing part of the marriage relationship. And here's the thing. Why so often is it not? Is it something that just seems to get pushed off and and not enjoyed to the degree at which maybe we would like it to, or we feel like it ought to be? And if you wanna get to some of those reasons, refer back to our series on breaking the cycle of shame, because shame has a lot to do with this. But let me give, give us just a couple thoughts each. Okay, for the guys, let's be honest. Is the reason that you are not initiating sex more often, is it because you're just tired and you're working a lot? Or is the reality you've continued to consume pornography and sexually explicit material online and that's what's getting in the way of you enjoying sex more with your wife? Women, is the reality that sometimes you use sex as a bargaining chip to kind of change his behavior, uh, kind of get him to, to maybe do what, do what you want or, or shape him in some way, rather than viewing sex as a, as a foundational ingredient to having the kind of intimacy that you truly want to have with your partner. We all have these these things that can kind of, again, get in the way and put barriers between enjoying what God wants us to in our marriage relationship when it comes to sex. Because uh, I I don't know why this is a shocker sometimes for people when I share this, but uh, sex is God's idea. He's the one who created it. And so we need to buy into a higher view of it rather than the lower view of it that the world often invites us to believe in. Because here's the big deal. God created sex so that there was, there's no one else on planet Earth that you could be that close to. That there is only one person for you till death do you part that you have this union and this, and this special relationship with. And so it's why we believe that God wants us to, to reserve marriage, uh, sex until marriage, so that, again, um, there's not a uniting of two people in sex that is, that is divorced from a commitment to one another. When that happens, intimis, the, the ability to be truly intimate, uh, truly known and safe in a relationship is damaged when we just engage with casual sex outside of marriage. And so uh, again, the letter of 1 Corinthians speaks to this. 1 Corinthians chapter six, read with me verses 15 and 16. Do you not know that our, your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh." And so just again, to recap the teaching there, when we engage uh, in sexual activity just for pleasure, we are robbing ourselves of the ability to experience the intimacy that God desires for us to experience in that marriage relationship. Uh, and, And we've got to have a higher view of sex than the world does. Moving on, number six, let's just step on all the toes today. Uh, One of the reasons, if you want to have a marriage that lasts, you need to to really pay attention to number six on my list here. You need to have a one-fund approach to your finances. Have a one-fund approach to your finances. I encourage couples to have one bank account or one set of bank accounts that they share, to not have uh, bank accounts that are separate from one another where you don't know what's going on and, and you kind of divide, um, divide up the money because where your money is stored, um, you've got to view that money. However you do it, however many accounts you have, you have to have the mindset that all of our money together is ours and, we are, and we're using this in the ways that God wants us to. Or if you're not yet a person of faith, at least we're using this in ways that we've agreed that we want to use it and invest it into. Okay? And Jesus speaks to this reality about, uh, about where we place our money and treasuring it. In Matthew 6, verse 21, Jesus says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And so, when you have separate stores of treasure from one another, it is simply too easy for your hearts to begin to move in different directions. And when that happens, and you and you start viewing your money different from differently from one another, man, there is no amount of naked time that can make up for that kind of kind of kinda, uh, divorce and divergent thinking in how you view money, okay? And so, uh, moving on to number five on my list of 10 things I've learned in 20 years of marriage, your spouse is not the only person that you need in your life. Your spouse is simply not the only person you need in your life. We all know those couples, right? You used to be friends and hang out all the time, and then they, they started dating, and then they just vanished, right? Like, it was like they just, like, disappeared. Where did they go? I don't know. Nobody knows how they're doing, right? We've all, we've all seen couples that just kind of disappear into one another, and they, they kind of just stop spending time with others. Um, and I think that it, this is tied into this very subtle idol that our culture sets up for us to worship, that our immediate family is all that we really need. You just need your, your spouse, your kids. That's really all that you need in life. And we're, that's just simply not true, We were created to care for and be concerned for and connected to a broader set of relationships than just our spouse and our kids. Uh, And so if you are looking for your spouse and your kids, stay tuned for our parenting message in this series on relationships. But if you're looking to, to just those individuals to give you all the fulfillment, all the validation and all the purpose that you need in your life, man, you're gonna be disappointed Uh, Because our marriages were designed to reflect God's love, not to just replace it. But this is what the world often gives us a picture of and asks us to buy into. But think about this for a moment. If you ask your spouse to bear all the weight of giving you all the fulfillment and all the validation and all the purpose you need in life, you are literally asking them to be God in your life. And that is not going to end well one way or the other. We can't put that burden, that weight on the shoulders of a spouse or our immediate family. That's why we need meaningful relationships beyond our spouse. Number four on my list of 10 things that I've learned in 20 years about marriage. um, When you get stuck, and you will, when you get stuck, reach out for help. Uh, relatively early on a few years into our marriage uh, like many couples uh, my wife Amy and I we we continue to have the same conflict in our marriage right and we kept fighting about the same thing maybe it's just us I know everyone joining you probably much more evolved than we are but in case there's a few of us who continue to seem to have the same fight and the same conflict over and over again right uh, pay close attention to this to this point uh, the reality was the conflict kind of, it got more frequent and it got more intense because we were unable to figure out how to resolve it. And so it got to the point where Amy said, look, we need to sit down and talk to someone, talk to anyone about, uh, about this conflict that we're having. We, we're not going to last, we're not going to be able to figure this out on our own. So I begrudgingly said, fine. Uh, And so I asked a couple from our church, I said, hey, Bruce and Laura, like, we're having some, we're we're having some conflict. We can't seem to figure it out. Like, uh, would you guys be willing to meet with us? And so we went over and we sat down and and we just spent an hour together and we're unpacking some of the conflict. And it is amazing the power that happens when you sit down in in real life or on a video call with another couple and you kind of put your stuff on the table and you're, you're able to gain an objectivity that you didn't have before. Uh, and that's the power, again, of reaching out for help to, to verbalize, again, what's going on. Because sometimes, right, we had all the knowledge <laughs> in the world that we needed, but we couldn't figure out how to practice it. Reaching out for the help of others allows us to actually live out what we know. That's what the Bible calls wisdom. And so, if you think you don't need the help or the input of anybody else, man, you are like that pack animal that's straggling on the back of the line, and the enemy is going to come along and devour you. It, when you are struggling, reach out for help. Third thing that I've learned about marriage uh, in 10 or uh, in 20 years uh, about marriage, number three on my list of things I've learned is that the convenience of cohabitation does not eliminate the challenges of marriage. It just simply doesn't. The convenience of cohabitation does not eliminate the challenges of marriage. Now, we are up front at Rainier View about Christian marriage. One of the things that, that means, it's a lifelong commitment. There are no, there are no backing out. There's no, uh, you know, kind of just like a casual, like, we'll see if it works. And so marriage, it takes hard work. It takes grit. It takes commitment over time. But sometimes, right, like, couples, you just kind of drift together, right? You, you like one another, and things are going well, and then you kind of, well, why are we paying two rents instead of one? Let's just move in together, and there's not a lot of intentionality to, to how we maybe uh, drifted to, together as a couple, and so you might be joining us saying, like, well, what's the point really of marriage? Like, why do people even still need to get married today? What's the big deal? And so the big deal from, from our vantage point and why it is so valuable, why we're taking the time this morning to talk about this, uh, is that biblically speaking, marriage is entering into a covenant. Okay? A covenant is a permanent promise made to somebody else, literally, till death do us part. That's our intention. And one reason that we get married, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, one of the reasons that we enter into that kind of covenant with another person is that it's a reflection of the covenant promise that God makes to any and all of us through faith in Jesus. If we're willing to put our faith in Jesus, God is saying to us, this is a covenant I'm making with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so for the follower of Jesus, That's what marriage is about. It's reflecting that kind of love that God has shown us, and we're literally modeling the gospel in our marriage relationship. Again, that's a higher view of marriage than the world offers us, and so if you need some help, if you're joining us and you need some help on, okay, how do I navigate moving from cohabitation to marriage and and just answering questions around that, hey, please feel free to reach out to us uh, at rainierview.org slash online and reach out on, on that digital connection card. We would love to help give you some wisdom and some next steps there. Um, number two on the list here, uh, as, we're, as we're getting close to closing up here, what you need to know is that a previous marriage that ended in divorce can be one of your greatest opportunities to minister to others. You know, it kind of saddens me in our world that that our world talks about divorce like it's no big deal. Even sometimes it talks about it almost like a moment of empowerment. Yeah, take your life back from that person that's been, you know, so terrible to you. Yeah, like, and and we kind of almost like celebrate it like it's some sort of rite of passage in, in the Western world. Um, and I think what it what it glosses over is that there is a lot of hurt. There's a lot of shame and pain that... that people end up carrying around from from the season of divorce that they go through. And what we want you to know is that it is okay to process that, to grieve that, but ultimately allow God to use that season of your life uh, to teach you the power of his grace and for you to have a story to tell Others about the goodness and the grace of God. And so, if you've got a story to tell around uh, how God used that season of your life to teach you something about who He is, and and, and you've got a a testimony to share, we would love to hear that. Again, reach out on that digital connection card and let us know. But the number one thing that I've learned in 20 years uh, looking at my own marriage and the marriages of others is the number one thing I want you to know about marriage and building a marriage that lasts is that your marriage can. Weather whatever storm you're facing. your marriage can weather whatever storm you're facing. How do I know this? A few years back, um, we, had, uh, we had a friend reach out, uh, and we, you know a couple that, that got married around the same time we did, and uh, you know, we kind of moved to different parts of the country, and so we ca- you know just kind of catch up on social media, see the highlights of each other's life, every once in a while, you know message each other, kind of thing. but um, it kind of had drifted. like, just, again, our relationships do. And so uh, the wife reached out, messaged us kind of out of the blue uh, with just a very short and ominous uh, message of, hey, uh, I can't be there for my husband right now, but he really needs somebody to be there for him. But I can't be that person. You're like, oh no, what is it going to be? I think I know what it is. So sure enough, I, I, you know, call up the husband and, and say, hey, man, what's going on? And sure enough, he, he cheated on his, on his wife. Uh, and there's two things I will never forget. I will never forget the, the just hollowness in his voice as he described, this is the worst decision I've ever made in my life. I never want anyone else to do what I did. And the second thing that i'll never forget from, from that encounter in that moment is that she wrote us back kind of you know a little bit later on and said hey thank you for you know just uh, just reaching out uh, to him it means so much and i knew that i could reach out to you because you wouldn't be an enemy of our marriage man our world stacks up a lot of things that sets it up to be enemies of our marriage, to tear us apart, to, uh, to, to break us down. And so at Rainier View as a church, we wanna be a church that champions your marriage, that celebrates your marriage, that helps your marriage be a marriage that is built to last. And so we're, we're hopeful that, that what we looked through today um, would, would help you with that. Um, but if you're gonna have a marriage that lasts, um, let me give you one kind of closing challenge is uh, something that any of us can do, even if you're on year zero of your marriage, you're not yet married, you can do this. Um, if you're year one, wherever you're at, year 30, I would encourage you to find somebody who has been married 10 years longer than you. Find somebody who's been married 10 years longer than you uh, and set up a time, you know, reach out to them and say, hey, I would love to get together and I would just love to hear how you guys have uh, lasted in marriage. What are the things that you've learned? Because I would love to know those as well. Because when we become people who who learn to learn from others, man, that is one of the ingredients when we're in community with others that's going to help us build marriages that last. Hey, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We are so excited that you gave us some of your time, and we hope that you'll continue uh, with us next week as we continue in our series, Relationships. Thanks for joining the Rainier View Christian Church Podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to be notified for all future episodes. Be sure to connect with us on socials at RainierViewCC and find out more about us at RainierView.org.